Today I want to talk about D is for discipleship. Amen? There is a man in the book of Acts that is by the name of Manson of Cyprus. The interesting thing about him is that he is an early disciple with whom the leaders of the early church were to stay. The book of Acts is the history book of the Bible. It talks about, from the day of Pentecost, how Paul and, and this, uh, most of Paul and Silas and all those different ones on their missionary journeys began the early stages of the church. And in that, in the latter part, I believe it's chapter 20, I believe it is, uh, there's a man by the name of Manson who was of Cyprus, but the thing that's interesting about him is he was probably saved at the day of Pentecost. So as time has passed, as he's gotten older, when we pick him up later on, I mean, there's no mention of him other than here in the 20th chapter of Acts, other than the fact that he was one that was going to be able to home and house uh, Paul and all those that were coming with him. To, uh, to Jerusalem because there were some issues that were going on. That's Acts chapter 21, verse 16 is where he's at. Uh, so I said that to say this. When Jesus says some simple words to his disciples, and if you want to title this, it's just simply, come follow. Come and follow. It's a simple invitation but a profound significance to those who really do follow Jesus. And the reason why I talk about this is because in Matthew chapter 5, you are introduced, we're introduced to Peter and Andrew. And Peter and Andrew were fishermen by trade. And what happens is, as they are out doing what they do, fishermen like to fish. We have a couple people in here who like to fish. One's to my left and your right, Brother Tony. He's a fisherman. And I remember I used to watch the TVs when they would show these people who are really into it. I mean, they would go to Michigan or Canada or wherever. They had the boats. They had the little sonar things and whatever because they were going to catch the big one. And uh, he does some of that. He, he usually has fish, you know, all year long. And I get, I get amazed that he says, oh, I caught about 80 fish. I, I cannot comprehend somebody catching 80 fish at one time. That would be all I could probably catch in a lifetime. If not even, I wouldn't even come close to 80. I like to eat fish, but I don't like the fish. Because standing out there on the sea banks and the, the lake, banks of the lake and the heat and the bugs and throwing it out there, just hoping that some little fish would, no. But, oh, I like to eat it. When we took that, some of y'all went on that trip on Canada to catch walleye. Come back. Let's cut these babies. Let's get them fried up and have some good old fried fish. So here they are, Andrew and Peter, fishermen by trade. But here's the thing. On the particular day that they're out comes a man by the name of Jesus. And he says to them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Listen, come and follow me, and I will make you not just fishers of fish, but fishers of men. That's profound. 
That's going to have a significant impact on their life. From the point that he says that and to the point that Peter and Andrew are obedient to God, it changed everything about who they were and who they were become. Question. Can you and I remember the moment when we first heard Jesus call and put our trust in him? Do you remember that point in time when the Lord spoke to your heart and said to you in somewhat similar words, come and follow me? I can remember mine sitting in church. The red pews, I was sitting over on the, on the right when you walk in, about third row back, right there on the end. I've been hearing the word for a long time, and what happened was, that morning I woke up and said, you know what, this is crazy. I know I need to go forward. I need Jesus. Let me. And as soon as the pastor didn't really have to say, is there one, I was already up. But can you and I remember the point in time when we actually heard the call of Jesus? The cost of discipleship at that point in time may not have been realized when we first took those first few steps. The cost that will sometimes evolve as the years have passed on. From the moment in time we said yes to Jesus to where we are today, probably a lot of things has happened in our life, and we really did not understand what the significance was when Jesus said to us, come and follow me. Amen? The first step for Peter and Andrew was to listen to Jesus daily. And as they listened to Jesus, as he walked and talked and was among them, that's the same thing he says to us. We are to listen to Jesus day after day on a daily basis. As they have listened, so too are you and I. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, we're taught that to obey him, we become wise. Let's go to that real quick. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and 49. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 6. And verse 46 and 49. Familiar passage, familiar story. Jesus speaks here in Luke 6, 46, says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You cannot say you're a true disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and don't do what he says. That does not compute. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been built, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Are you going to be a wise builder or an unwise builder? If you're a wise builder, you're going to build on a solid foundation. That's all Jesus is saying. Listen, if you, why do you, why do you and I call Jesus Lord, Lord, and do not do what he tells us? If you don't do what he tells you, he's not your Lord. And he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my voice and does them, I will show you what he's like. If you listen to the voice of Jesus, if you follow him, you're like the wise builder. 
You're building on a solid foundation. Amen? So, or if not, you're like the guy that just built on top of the ground, did not have it rooted and grounded, and when the storms came, when the uh, water came, the stream broke, the house didn't stand, it fell. Maybe the reason why in a lot of our lives we're falling apart is because we did not build on a solid foundation. On Christ, the what? Solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You, have, you and I have to build our lives on Jesus, for he is the solid rock. Amen? The more we listen to the Lord Jesus and obey him, the more we become like him. And that's even up in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Because I and you ought to have a desire to want to be like who? Like Jesus. In Luke 6, 40, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. The, ind the indication is you and I ought to be like Jesus. Is that who we want to be like? Amen. I hope it is. I hope we want to be like Jesus. I hope we don't want to be like the, the devil. Or somebody else. The fact that Jesus never underplayed the challenge to difficulties and personal sufferings of discipleship may bring us to this hope that as a, as a disciple, we're expected to make a difference. Jesus did not call us just to come to come to church and sit. He called us to make a difference. He called us to be a difference in our home. He called us to be a difference on our job. He called us to be a difference in our community so that people will know that you and I are Christians. Is that what you're known as? Are you known, am I known as being a Christian man or a Christian woman or a Christian boy or a Christian girl? Or are we known to be something else? We're called to make a difference. We're called to be a difference. And the fact that Jesus never underplayed the challenge and the difficulties and the personal sufferings of what discipleship may bring. To be a follower of Jesus means many times you and I may have to suffer. Amen? And I'm not talking about so much physical pain, but the things that we talked about this evening in Sunday school. Sometimes the things that happen in the world may never get to where we are. We may not have the bigger houses and the bigger cars and all the money, but if we do what God wants us to do, if we're willing to commit to serving Jesus, guess what? As we learned this morning, our light momentary afflictions. I get it. Believe me. When you and I are going through it, it does not seem light. It's like a heavy load. It's like, hello, Jesus, how much more can I bear? And sometimes you just feel like screaming and shouting and doing some other things. But get this. What that verse really talks about is that even though we may have to go through some pain and go through some hard times and go through some difficulties on this side, it does not compare to what we will receive when we get to heaven. That's why he called, it's interesting, Paul says this light and momentary affliction, light and momentary, don't seem to go together with the affliction part of it. Because we dwell on what? The affliction. But he says light and momentary in comparison to where we're going to be on the other side. Amen? So, yes, I get it. Yes, we understand that what we are going through sometimes is hard, is difficult. But keep in the back of your mind 
that it's light and it's momentary when we let the Lord use us and we count the cost of following him. Amen? We need to understand that when we say, when he told us, come and follow, he didn't promise us a rose garden. He didn't promise it's going to be a flowery beds of ease. And guess what? As he suffered, so will you and I. How many of us have friends we grew up with, and now they're gone? They either have died, or they may have moved on. How many of our loved ones in our own family have gone on? I mean, all these things happen, promotions and demotions, and, and this happens, sicknesses and illnesses, and all the other things that happen in our life. But yet, the good thing to know is when you and I were told to come follow, Jesus didn't tell, promise us that we would be ones that would not have to go through some things. He just let us know that when we go through it, he would what? Be with us. Amen? And that's the good news for me. I'm glad he is with me. Amen? Because if he's not with me, oh, believe you and me, there's many times I would uh, probably say, you know what? I can't, I'm like, I can't make it. Amen? But we need Jesus on our side. So we're expected to be, make a difference. We're expected to be salt and light. You are the light of the world. You're to be salt of the earth. Salt preserves. Salt has a lot of characteristics. And light illuminates. Light shines. And guess what? That's who we are to be. In this, the only reason the world isn't any worse than it is, and believe you, if you watch the news, it's getting worse every day. The only reason it's not even worse is because of the church and because we are salt and we are light. When the church is gone, when those true believers in Christ are taken up, guess what? The world will be left to run as it sees fit. And you think it's bad now? If you're here when that happens, you're going to see such chaos and such confusion that it's going to be making what we're going through now seem like nothing. But we're to be salt. We're to be light. We're to make a difference. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and verse 21, lets us know that we are to follow in his steps. Go do that real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. Towards the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says... For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this, is a gracious thing in the sight of God. If I that we will suffer, it's a great thing in the sight of God. Why? Because God doesn't give us any more than we can bear. Amen? That's what he promised us. And sometimes we don't think we can bear it, but guess what? The old times would say he's our heavy what? Load bearer. The other day, I was here at the church, and I think we had a whole bunch of, well, I, was, I came out one day, and I was raking all those little, whatever those little things are, under that one tree. I had a whole bag full of those things. And the thing was heavy. It was very heavy. And I said, oh, no, I can't carry this from that tree to the shed. You know what I had to get? I had to get something to help me carry that load. I got the little dolly. Lift that baby up 
and wheeled it across the yard into the shed. That's what Jesus is. He is the heavy load. When it gets too hard for you and I, he's the two-wheel cart. He's the, the rinse. He, whatever it is, he's the one that is able to help pick up the load and carry us. And that's a good thing to know. Because I don't know about you, but I know about me. Sometimes the load is too heavy. Amen. And I just said, Jesus, I need you to help me carry this, carry this for me. It made me think of the, the, the old story of the poem where it talks about the footsteps on the seashore, and there's two sets of prints, and all of a sudden it only becomes one set of prints. And the only reason why it's one set of prints is because when the load got heavy, Jesus had to pick you and I up, and he carried us, so therefore it's his, it's his footprints that are in the sand only because you're still with him, but he's carrying you. He's carrying me. And it's good to know that sometimes in this life, we have a Savior that will carry us. So we need to understand that he's always there. It's interesting when you look at the life of Paul. Paul casts his net far and wide for the gospel. And every time he had opportunity to share the good news, that's what he did. When he was saved, when Jesus spoke to him and said, come follow me, Paul gave it all up for the cause of Christ. And when you read in the book of Acts and you read through the New Testament, but specifically the book of Acts, you find how much Paul suffered for what he believed in his heart, what he knew in his heart, and how the compassion he had for the world to know Jesus. Someone has said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is. You and I are living in a day, and we're living in a time when this is the best time, really. All time is good, but this is an opportunity for we as the people of God. Not just talking about Cornerstone, not just talking about here, but wherever we are to share. The people, people need hope. People are searching for an answer to all of life's problems. And the sad thing is, we have the answer. We're just not willing to share it. We are hoarders in the sense that we come in, we take in, but we never go back out and give it out. Don't be a sponge. Just soak all this in, but never take it and share it with those that we come in contact with. Your neighbors, my neighbors, some people in our own family need to know Jesus in a real way because they have issues, they have problems that only the Lord can help them with. Amen? So we have opportunity. Paul used it to serve the Lord. He used it when he cast his net. If we're going to be fishers of men, we have a net to catch fish. The question is, how much fish do you have in your net? Could you and I live off of what we have in our nets? Or are our nets empty? And if we had to live off what we had We'd be looking over at our neighbor saying, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I see you have a lot of fish in your net. Can you spare some, some fish for me? No, the same opportunity that they have, the same opportunity you and I have, we just need to be about our Father's business and cast our net. Amen? So the question, where, and here it is, how full is your net and where are you casting your net? 
hopefully you're casting your net far and wide. Why would, you, why would anybody in their right mind go through all this? Why would anybody in their right mind understand that tribulation will come, trouble will come, difficulties will come just by following this man, Jesus? Why would you and I do that? Because we have a prepared place for a prepared people. This is not our, we are so comfortable down here that we forget this is not our home. We're not going to be here. I mean, you can live to 60, 70, 80, 90 like great, great granny, a hundred and something. But this, even at her age, it's going to be a blip compared to eternity. This is not our home. The old timers said we are, and the Bible says we are pilgrim strangers traveling through this old barren land. We start the journey at birth, and however many years the Lord gets us, gives us, that's what we do. But in the end, you and I will die. And when we do die, the question will be, where will you and I spend eternity? To know Christ is to be with Christ. And where is he today? He is on the right hand of the Father, seated beside his Father, full of grace and mercy and truth. And because he's there, because I believe in him, and I have accepted him as my Savior and Lord, guess what? I get to be in heaven too. So when I get there, all this stuff that I'm going through will be nothing because I will actually be able to hear him say, come on up, enter to thou the joys that I have prepared for you. And Derek Prime is writing this as he's 80-some years old looking back. But even at 80-some years old, if you're wherever you are, when you and I look back on our life, how much have we invested so that we would be a better disciple of Jesus? See, at 80... What I'm realizing, even at 60, is that I'm past, I'm closer to the other end of the journey than I am to the beginning of the journey. Amen? I just saw, I was thinking today, I was like, you know, used to be back in the day, if you lived to be 70, that was a great thing. But now people are living to their 80s and 90s and beyond. I don't know how much time I got left, but the guy that, one of the guys that just walked on the moon just passed the other day at 86. 86 years old. And he's gone. But look at all that he did. He actually was one of five, the last remaining five men that are still living that actually were part of the legacy of those who actually walked on the moon. Well, you know, when you get to a certain age, you need to start taking evaluation of where you are. And Derek Prime is saying one of the things that he looked at was this term discipleship. As I look at 80, where, where have I come and where am I going to go? And at whatever age you and I are today, we need to ask that same question. Where are you? How's your fellowship? And when Jesus spoke to you that one particular day and said, come follow me, have you and I really been following him or have we been miss, hit and miss, hit and miss, hit and miss? We follow him for a couple of days, for a couple of months, for a couple of years, and then we drift off and we don't follow him. That's not a good thing. Jesus says, I spoke. They came, they followed, they listened to everything I had to say. And even though they had trials and struggles and, and went through a lot of things, at the end of their journey, they truly became a true disciple. And what does that mean? To be a disciple, i put this down, my next point, be a disciplined disciple. Be a disciplined disciple. Talked about come follow. We talked about Jesus never promised or never underplayed the challenges and difficulties of our personal suffering and discipleship and the fact that we need to be a disciplined disciple. 
To be a disciple is to be disciplined. Because in the word disciple is the word discipline. You can't really be a disciple unless you're disciplined. What do you need to be disciplined in? Number one, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier. We're talking about soldiers this weekend. I will guarantee that anybody that's been in the military will tell you they had to endure some hardship in the military. Got a couple guys here today. I can tell you right now that when they served in their particular uh, time and stuff, one of the things that they probably would tell us is that they were in some situations. I can remember Brother Dixon one time talking about when he was in Vietnam and the walking through the, 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 the swamps and the this and the that. That's not something that you just, you know, we're going to walk, walk through a swamp today. That's not what you want to do. And then people are trying to shoot you and kill you and all. No, that's not. But as, as, a, as a soldier, he had to endure some hardship, some cold nights, some freezing nights. My dad talked about many nights when he was out there. It was freezing cold and sub-zero weather, you know, early in the morning when it was pouring down rain and it was cold. And there you, I mean, endure hardship as a good soldier. And that's what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, you are in the ministry. You're, you're called to be a leader for Christ. Guess what? You have to endure hardship. Preach in season and out of season. Preach when they like it and preach when they don't like it. Speak the truth and always tell the truth and stand for that which is right because there's going to come a day when people will not want to endure sound doctrine. People don't want to hear stuff like this. They want you to make them feel good and they go out and say, man, we really feel great. And at the end of the day, when life meets them in the face, they have nothing to be able to withstand life's pressures. I mean, it's great that you, at one point, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you walk out and you find out, uh, by the way, um, I didn't want to tell you this, but you have cancer. Uh, excuse me. Your mother has just died. Excuse me. You just lost your job. Excuse me. Your house just burnt down. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Life meets. And you have nothing. The world has nothing be able to handle that other than drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever. A temporary fix to a problem that's just one of many problems that are to come. But in Christ, when you're rooted and grounded in knowing him, you say, Lord, you know what? This, again, light momentary affliction has happened, but, but I'm going to make it. Not because, I sit, not because I'm so great and I'm so strong, but I'm leaning on you. Amen? How do you, because God put it on your heart, and you believe you've been led by the Spirit of God to do something, how do you still stand when everything around you tells you it's falling apart? When you have to leave everything that you know to go to a place that you may not know too many people. Hmm? How do you do that? You do that because you understand that the Lord is in this thing. So be a disciplined disciple. To be a disciple is to be disciplined. It's to endure hardship. Three areas of discipline are these three, and I close. Number one, prayer. Be a disciplined disciple by praying. The Bible says pray at all times. 
pray without ceasing. And you can't do that. That doesn't mean you physically have to bow your head and close your eyes when you're driving or whatever, but you can, you can pray at all times. You can pray when you're just laying in bed. Have you ever just woke up and you just couldn't go back to sleep? Instead of going and turning on the TV, pray. Say, so you know what, Lord, I can't sleep right now, but, you know, I pray for her. You can pray for your family. You can pray for your friends. You can pray for, your, pray for our country. Pray for all these things that are happening in our world. Say, Lord, I don't understand this. What's happening? We're watching a whole lot of things happen in our culture, in our world, that it's just perplexing. I was telling Sunday school class, I, you know, I say this, when, quote, when God falls, I say that because one time Morgan Freeman played God, fallen from grace, now he's the latest one of the Me Too that's been accused of, and I just go, wow, you just don't know, you know, be careful who we raise up, because we're all men of clay. And women of clay. Amen? Somebody said, how did that, how did that happen? I don't know how, but it, if it has and it's true, it happens a lot. It seems to be happening a lot. And I always think to myself, I said, but be for the grace of God. There would be you and I. Paul, not Paul, but the word has already told us how to conduct ourselves when we're with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Treat the younger sisters and the church as your sister and the older women of the church as your mother. Treat the brothers, the younger brothers, as your brother and the older men as your father. You're not going to do anything with your brother or father. I hope that you would, that it will cause you to be, you know, you got to say that because in today's world, that's where people's minds have gone. We have left the normalcy of what's normal and things that were, or normal, were normal are now abnormal. The same man married to the same woman for a whole lifetime, is abnormal in today's world. But God has not changed. Amen? He still believes in marriage. He didn't say adjust. He said marriage is honorable. And it is. We live in a day and time where those things aren't true. That's why, again, when Paul was writing Peter, uh, Timothy, he said, listen, we're, you're going to live in a time when what is right is going to be called wrong. And we're there. People don't want to hear the truth. People always say, listen, you need, back in the day, how many of us, most of us grew up in the day, you could tell somebody this is wrong, and they knew it was wrong, and they changed their behavior. I changed my behavior. You changed your behavior. Now, I can stand here till I'm purple and say, this is what, and invariably, somebody's going to say, but that's your truth. That's not my truth. That's your reality. That's not my reality. And it's not about truth is truth. Now, David's saying the man in the middle, somebody says, oh, my God, that's a secular, that's Michael Jackson. That's a, but there is some truth in what he is saying. All truth is God's truth. Now, one of the things that he says is not so much theologically correct is that you got to look within yourself to make the change. But you can't make the change within yourself. you got to know what the change is. The change comes by understanding who God is. 
But ultimately, it is you that when you know what the change is, you and I have to be the one that want to change. Amen? So that part is true. You get, the person that you get up and see every morning is the person we most struggle with all the time. It's not everybody else. It's our own selves. We're sometimes our own worst enemy. And when you have the truth of the word of God that tells you what to do, then guess what? You and I are simply to do it. And that's what a true disciple is. So pray. Number two, Bible reading. You got to read the word of God. Hear the word of God. I'm amazed that I am now in an age and living where Christian people are willing not to do the right thing because it's not expedient for them to do the right thing. Oh, they know what they're doing is wrong. Oh, they really do. I mean, it's not a mystery. They know what they're actually doing in their heart. They know it's not right. But they are not willing to make the change to do the right thing because doing the right thing will cost more than they're willing to give up. That's sad. Because what they're doing is thinking they're going to find contentment and joy and happiness, and it may bring more sorrow and more hardship than they realize. But they don't see it because they've been blinded for what they consider as a temporary, momentary solution to a problem that's bigger than what they really realize. So I could be a Christian, I can know what to do, and I may even know that what I'm doing is not right, but I elect not to do it because that's me. I hear you, Pastor. I hear you, Word. I hear, I hear you, what the Bible is telling me, but I, I, I can't do that. And you know that's true because the reason why some people don't come and don't do is because they are wrapped up in a sin and they know that it is wrong, and they know what the perception is. And so they say, I, rather than face that conviction, I just don't come. But Bible reading will bring that conviction. Prayer will bring that conviction. And then ultimately, you and I will change for the glory of God. Because it's not about my rightness or wrong. About my, what I'm doing is right. If, if it's not right and making it a right thing, it's about what does this say about me as a believer? Am I, being, am I putting a thumbprint or am I putting something on the name of Christ? People say, aren't you, aren't you a Christian? Yeah. But then how can you and I, how can you do that when you know that's not, well, you know, the Lord understands. God, under, God, God knows. God knows. God knows and people know. And then the last one is the use of our time. Prayer, Bible reading, use of our time. If you calculate it out, how much time we waste, it'd be staggering. At the end of 80 years or 90 years or whatever the Lord gives you and I, then the amount of time that we really do waste on something, and I'm not saying we shouldn't relax. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy things. That's not what I'm saying. But how many of us honestly can sit here today and say, you know what, honestly, Pastor, there have been times I have, if I look at it, I did waste, you know. Why did I watch this TV show when at the end of it I watched it and I said to myself, what was that? <laughs> what was that for? At the end of the, you know, every now and then I come in and we're watching the 600-pound life. At the end of the day, I mean, it helps me not to want to get 600 pounds, 
But at the end of the day, did it do anything to help me make me better? Probably not. Hoarders? Uh, I don't want to. You know. Someone's watched the, uh, what's that? The Jerry Springer mess. I can't even. When I turn out, I, I turn right by it. I can't do it. Hollering and screaming about stuff that's I'm like, oh, no, this is, this is, Jesus says, this is a waste of time. I go, yes, Lord, it is a waste of time. But then I watch Dr. Oz or something that says, now, when you eat these kind of foods, I'm like, okay. But we waste time. And time that we waste, we ought to be able to use for God. You and I, I, I watched the game last night, Golden State. I really thought they were going to lose. I said, they don't have it. They started that first half just looking terrible. I said, this ain't happening. But they got to go back to Houston. I don't know what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, if I can watch two and a half hours, three hours of basketball, and I can't give the Lord an hour on Sunday morning, something's wrong. Two hours if you come to Bible study or Sunday school. I can't get the Lord two hours, but boy, I tell you tomorrow, I'm going to be on that grill. I'm going to be cooking for four or five hours. We're going to let this baby go. We're going to cook. We're going to throw down. I'm going to be cooking my, my macaroni and cheese, my, my, my potato salad. I got this to do or that to do, and we're just doing our thing. And then at the end of the day, somebody says, by the way, just come to 9 o'clock Bible study. Oh, Lord, I can't do that. But you're going to get up early tomorrow because you know. You got, you're you're going to watch the weather report tonight, and it says chance of thunder showers or whatever. You're going to say, okay, well, what time is that supposed to happen? I think I'll get up early and start my cooking. So I'll get that out of the way. We do all that preparation, and guess what? The preparation we do for that, we don't even prepare to come to the house of God. Before you and I come, we ought to be praying, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear? Bless the pastor. Bless the man of God who's going to give us the word. Bless us as we sing. Bless us so that when we come out, we feel like, God, we're going to make it. And guess what? The cost of coming to follow Jesus is we're going to make it. You may have hard times. You may have difficulties. Or you may not. But the bottom line is when you heard the voice of Jesus say, come follow, it will be the best decision you've ever made. Amen? Because he would not ask you to come and follow if he did not know what you could reach your full potential. And no one knows better than you and I that we have not reached our full potential for what God could do for us in this world. We haven't let go and let God take over. Amen? So come follow. Come follow. Come, and Jesus said, follow me. Father, thank you for your word.